0: Cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com. It is Thursday morning, which always means the burning platform. And look at that. There he is. He's back. Our returning champion, Canton Pile, after a nice rest from the burning platform, where he felt like we were going around in circles some of the time. I think he's got lots and lots to answer for. And we've got lots and lots of questions to throw at him this morning. The burning platform brought to you by Nando's Pumi Mashikho, Canton The uh, dream team is back. How are you, Canton?
1: I'm fabulous, but I see that Pumi's got a new hairdo. What's up with that?
0: Uh, Kenton, new hair Kenton, don't, care. don't
2: you even. Like, new hair, don't care. <laughs> I have new hair all the time. Yeah, like, Pum- what's wrong with you? You go away for a couple of weeks. You don't know how we do things around here no more.
0: Yeah, well, I've only got Indian hair. I can't do anything else. <laughs> so, so first of all, Canton, I'm I'm sorry. I saw on your, um, I think... Facebook or something? I saw you had to put one of your old doggies down.
2: Oh. Yes. Which is always
0: horrible. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. It I'm, was I'm sure but, the kids but, were very but, upset. Yeah, well
1: we've we've I mean we've all been sort of incredibly mournful and grumpy mm. over the past couple of days. But you know, guys, I've got to say that in terms of Twitter, very specifically. Mm. You know Twitter's normally a cesspit at best. Yes. But this time round, you know, when I put up that note um, about uh needing to put down charlie and i had you know this short video clip and just the sheer outpouring of goodwill and support and and, and love was just so totally cool so and there's such a lot there's such a lot of good people out there really um, well, well um, they, they are the majority touched.
0: you know this is what we we've, yes. we've got to keep remembering is is as much as as twitter is this revolting place they, their Twitter does not represent the majority of people. And even the people who do comment on Twitter, it's only a tiny, tiny, angry, vocal minority that tends to, to steer things in a direction that gives everybody a bad name.
1: Yeah. So anyway, thank you to all of those guys. I, I nice. really appreciate
0: it. So, Canton, I'm going to start off with you because people have been missing you hugely. And um, there are lots of questions that have been building up over the couple of months that you've been off. First of all, um, people want to know, what are your thoughts on J.P. Luntman? He spins a very different narrative to what uh, we talk about on the show. I think he'd be a breath of fresh air on the show. Do you have any, Kameh, have you ever had any dealings with J.P. Luntman?
1: Uh, not had dealings with J.P. Luntman personally. I do read J.P. Luntman's mm-hmm. um, uh, stuff uh, occasionally. Look, J.P. Luntman plays in a very kind of similar space to the one in which France Cronier plays. Okay. In, in, in the sense that uh, corporates basically pay him to advice give strategic him. advice in terms of how things are, are going to go. And uh, I think at, at that level, it's, it actually becomes far more useful to kind of have a face-off between the likes of France and J.P. Lundman, because I think a lot of the stuff that they do is very firmly research-based and um, it's the interpretation of the way in which they take a look at uh, that uh, data that really matters. I think one of the, the things that caught many people's attention was a, I think it was a, it was a brief from Ned Bank Private Wealth that uh, J.P. Luntman did um, a while back, which actually was going on at some length to show, I guess, the positive spin on things that have happened since uh, Ramaphosa succeeded uh, Zuma. Mm-hmm. to a large extent i think though that uh, if you look at uh, the stuff that he's mentioned a lot of it is not directly as a result of Ramaposa actually doing stuff but you know really rather as a result of the fact that other people ended up doing things at the same time so whether that is going to translate into a concerted effort to rebuild South Africa's economy. No, I actually disagree with that because none of the boxes that need to be ticked in order to get the economy back on track are actually happening. Mm. You see, the problem all the time has not been the question of corruption per se. It's actually been the, uh, the question of whether you're going to have the political cojones to actually turn this economy around. And we already know what needs to be done to turn the economy around. We we need deregulation. We need greater privatization. And nowhere was this more clear than the fiasco that we've had over the purported rollout of, uh, of vaccines.
0: Yeah. Well, because me, we, we, uh, before we get we, into that, I, I think you, you, we all owe you a bit of space to do your I told you so when it comes to the pensions. So you've been saying for the longest time, guys, yes. get your pensions out, stop uh, trusting this government. You know that they're going to be greedy and they're going to take from you. So here's your moment, Canton, to say I told you so. Here's your moment to admonish those of us who weren't taking you seriously. Go ahead.
1: Well, this really ties in with the question of, you know, how one interprets the advice of uh, of J.P. Luntman as an example. And, you see, one of the reasons why I, I, I trade cautiously around the stuff that he's saying, his client is Nedbank Private Wealth. And Nedbank Private Wealth has a vested interest in having as much of your money as possible in this country to be managed by them. Sure. And, you know, so at that level, you are not going to get any of the major financial service providers in this country to be casting any aspersions whatsoever on the ANC's plans to be meddling with our pension funds. So, yes, you know, there is an I told you so moment, but I think that I haven't been alone on this. There's a number of people who've been saying for years that you need to be moving your money to places where it's effectively out of reach of the ANC. The problem that we have right now is that the ship has already sailed for most of us, except for those who are under fifty-five years of age. Right. Those who are under under fifty-five years of age, you have to wait until you're fifty-five before you're able to take retirement,
0: so Correct. to speak. So there's nothing you can do,
1: and, uh, and there's nothing that you can do between uh, between now and then. But w- what you can do is try and do the other stuff that I was talking about, such as going off grid as much as possible. So. Yeah. My my solar installation has been in place now for a couple of months and smiling quite happily through all of the uh, load shedding incidences whenever they come up.
0: And is, is your bill dramatically less?
1: Yes, substantially. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I was tracking consistently at around about uh, um, 5,000 rand a month. My bill is now around about 1,000 a month. And that's wow. because there's a, a couple of things that I kept on – Uh, Well, it's literally uh, two things that I've kept on uh, ESCOM power. It's my stove and uh, it's my geysers. And the geysers are all solar in any case, so they only come on when um, there's no sunshine, basically. Mm -hmm. So in terms of um, uh, uh, ESCOM My dependence is almost completely slashed.
0: That's fantastic. And and
1: frankly, the only reason, the only reason why I'm not completely off grid is because there's a a kind of price performance ratio right now in terms of the cost of batteries versus Mm -hmm. um, the return on investment. But I'm also taking the view that Moore's law applies to batteries and battery capacity has doubled within the first two months of the year with no corresponding rise in price. Yeah. So So at the time that I bought, I put in two hundred amp hour batteries for about four thousand six hundred apiece. In the previous month, I would have gotten one hundred amp hour batteries for the same price.
0: So if you just wait a while, then, you'll, you'll ex- get even better ones for for pretty much the same price. All right. So so put yeah, yeah. me. Um, we oh. have we have a few more questions for Canton, but I'll throw those in as we continue the conversation. Let's just talk about a few things. We've we've got an announcement for the provincial and local. Uh, sorry, the municipal and local elections which is happening in October, and Pumi was just giving us an update on what's going on in Neisner. Obviously, there are a lot of these municipalities which are very much up for grabs for opposition parties or for the ANC to reclaim. What are you guys feeling about these elections? How important are local and municipal elections to you? Pumi, you want to go first? (laughs)
2: Hey, no, that's because this morning I already said, I think these, these elections are going to be interesting to watch because they're going to show us, they're going to tell us what the temperature is for people, and their appetite for going out to vote. I think they're going to show us who's making gains and who's making losses. And it'll be, it'll be fascinating to watch. It's an important one. It is important. All elections are important.
0: Yeah, but why did you why did you think that the the Nisner one was so significant? Because it swung back to the ANC. <sighs>
2: yeah, and also because it, these are traditional. So there's just the one one word, by the way. This is in,
0: just so that people know. This, this is, is
2: just one word. Yeah.
0: yeah,
2: it's one word. Um, but I was also just looking at the the numbers coming out of um, Western Cape. Some mm-hmm. places in the Western Cape, again, the gains that people are making and. You know, we've been talking, I've been talking a lot about how I think the DA is losing its grip because they, they are in disarray and they should be taking advantage of the disarray that the ANC is in, you Mm. know, to, to give themselves more of a game. But anyway, so that's, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this, that the trend, there are places where the DA is holding, where the DA is holding, but you know, it's, it's very what do you, shaky w- there. Without,
0: without, without us playing Nostradamus, what do you think of that, Canton, and how important are local municipal elections to you?
1: Well, let's take uh, drill down first into the specific problem that Pumi was just talking about, which is the direction for the Western Cape in general. Now, the direction for the Western Cape in general is not really different to the existential crisis that the United States is facing at the moment because you have immigrants that are flooding into particular parts of the country that are dramatically shifting the demographics and thereby dramatically shifting the voting patterns. Now, that, in a nutshell, is the situation that is happening in the Western Cape right now. The Western Cape is one of the few functional parts of the country. Mm -hmm. And as a direct result of that, the economic opportunities are better in the Western Cape than pretty much anywhere else in the country, which means that you have what Helen Ziller spoke about many years ago, this whole concept of economic refugees Mm -hmm. who are flooding to the Western Cape directly as a result of the fact that they are looking for opportunities there. But As they are doing so, it doesn't come with the common sense to recognize that the thing that is causing those jobs there in the first place is the fact that the ANC is not in power. So they take their historical allegiance to the ANC. And so I am saying that to a large extent, one should take the view that you should not be blaming the DA for not adequately capitalizing. Because remember that the DA is also having... A significantly shrinking voter base from the point of view of the fact that people are migrating.
0: Yeah. So, in other words, so you, you yeah. think, you think a lot of these changes might be due to the very fact that people are coming to DA areas from ANC areas because the DA areas are run better. And then they're bringing the ANC votes into those areas and thereby rewarding the ANC for something they shouldn't be rewarded for.
1: That, that's exactly right. That is the executive summary. And look, that's a pattern that is going to continue. And you see, one of the the reasons why this entire um, uh, crisis that's currently taking place in the United States between the Republicans and the Democrats is the Democrats have a very deliberate plan to boost the number of refugees in the country Hmm. to fast-track them to citizenship because they then directly translate into Democrat votes. And the Republicans out there, unlike the DA out here, actually recognize that that is an existential threat to their very being and they are actively taking steps to fight it well i mean here the da can't do that because they'll be accused of being racist
0: even if you consider Hmm. um without bringing immigrants from other countries into it there are there are cross-state immigrations happening uh, immigration migrations rather happening uh between you know there's a huge exodus from new york and california at the moment of a certain kind of business person because the taxes are very high and those cities in in, in Los Angeles anywhere in New York have become kind of unmanageable. Um, and those people are moving into places like Texas and Arkansas and Louisiana and Tennessee and Mississippi because they have less tax to pay and they have more freedoms there to be able to do things in terms of the labor market and everything else. And they're actually saying to those people, don't bring your crappy leftist ideas into our nice state because you've come to our nice state don't ruin it and that's almost what the DA should be doing in the cape don't you think
1: yes but uh, they're in the hiding to nothing and it's not going to work because the the fact is that those crappy leftist ideas will travel with people because it's a direct result of prosperity when you don't understand hardship you really buy into this idea that you can be touchy-feely and you can uh, embrace a, a social democratic state, which then very quickly turns to socialism, which then turns to communism. So if you take a look very specifically at red states, which happen to have um, a very strong uh, proportion Mm-hmm. of uh, of new migrants. and the, the biggest example of this is Austin, Texas. Right. You know, as in the... Uh, as in the uh, so, yeah. And, uh, and, and Austin is one of those places that is really going toes up quickly um, in contradiction to the rest of the state. What I'm trying to say is that these are patterns that are happening around the world. Yeah. And ultimately what it translates to is a quest for power on the part of political parties. And... The only way we're actually going to resolve this is if we can actually get our heads around the question of what is it that defines us as a nation in terms of our shared values, and can we build consensus around that? We don't have that right now, and the U.S. has pretty much lost it. You know, the the entire concept of the American dream is, you know, they they put a bullet in in it because… Yes. And the reason why the politicians put a bullet in it is because it's bad for division. And anything that's bad for division means that it's bad for creating centers of power. Same reason why we put a bullet through the Rainbow Nation in our country, because it was actually working. So, you know, let's kill it so that we can cause division and rip this country apart. Now, but the the problem that we have in terms of the Western Cape is that there is nowhere to run to in terms of Mm -hmm. other states in the country that uh, that are better run. You know, I think we have one municipality in Gauteng that is uh, uh, run by the DA, and it's it's a well-run municipality. But again, that is eventually going to fall to the ANC for exactly the same reason that I'm talking about. So to get back to the, the gist of your main question, Gareth, which is what is going to be the significance in terms of these uh, municipal elections, I don't think it's going to be much. And uh, if anything what we are going to see is not much change in, uh, uh, on the ground. We are going to have a further reduction in terms of DA votes simply because of the fact that you have Herman Mashaaba going to take away votes from the DA, not from the ANC. Mm-hmm. You have Herman Mashaba. you have uh, Musi Maimane going to take away votes um, uh, from the ANC and- uh, The DA, uh, not the ANC. <clears throat> yeah, so from the DA. Uh, then you have Patricia DeLille, who's also playing in that same space. And the net result is going to be that uh, I think that the ANC is overall going to do better than they've done in the last municipal election. But at the same time, I think that we're going to have an overall reduction in voter turnout because people are just basically recognizing that it's not making much of a difference at this point all
0: right so i know you, you probably think nothing has changed and maybe you have a point since Canton was last on within the anc that the whole edifice is still crumbling and falling apart there's huge division and uh, factionalism taking place we we know that just this week in fact this morning one of the headlines is Supra mahuma Pelo has been suspended I mean, it's almost like a token suspension, this, because the really bad people aren't – I mean, Super doesn't have a kind of influence that he once did when he was Northwest Premier. But we know that Jacob Zuma and, and uh, Ace Makashule were saying last week after their wonderful, as they called it, meeting, that it's time for the State Capture Commission to be dismantled. You know, they say it's a witch hunt. Um, you obviously have other people in the ANC. I see presidential spokesperson Kusela Diko has hit out, hit out at the ANC in Gauteng for making public utterances, which uh, they think are bringing the ANC into disrepute. So I, I don't know. I don't know what you guys think of any of this. Is there anything new going on or is this just more of the same? And should we be paying attention to this?
1: There are different pieces of this puzzle. So I I think if we take a look in terms of the the State Capture um, uh, Commission, Mm -hmm. I had a a, a discussion with Pumi about two months ago about us actually trying to do a drill down into what was happening with the state capture commission, mm. and Pumi said, "I'll get back to you," and she very properly vanished. But uh, <laughs> I did. Uh, so, but now let's let's take a very specific <laughs> view around uh, around uh, Zondo. Yes, I, I I think that Zondo has turned into a witch hunt because mm. it. it if you consider the original mandate in terms of zondo mm-hmm. it was it was about the concept of state capture. It was never about the concept of going after individuals like uh, uh lucky montana this week as uh, as an example, and you know him making a very specific point that uh, um, it is turning out to be all about the individuals take take this view that Zondo has been sitting and ex, uh, expanded well over a billion rand so far mm. uh in uh with how many prosecutions that have actually resulted in money coming back to us can we Zero. have a, a raise? Uh, exactly now take uh, what really should have happened if you think about this is that the starting point for the zondo commission should have been to actually put jacob zuma in the chair mm. as, as the as the very opening thing that says listen we've had you know, all of these accusations. Now you were in the hot seat. These are the things that people say that you did to facilitate state capture by this group of businessmen who acquired South African citizenship uh, during the apartheid era. Yes. What's going on?
0: And then and, he, and he could set the sta- stage for all the rest.
1: Yes. And then the second person be, uh, be called should have been Cyril Ramaphosa. And Cyril Ramaphosa should have been asked. You were sitting there during the entire time that this process was happening. What were you doing? What notes did you take? Are you pleading ignorance about what went on during that time? None of that process has actually happened. Instead, what we've been doing is we've been going after, let's call them rats and mice. Minions. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're, they're minions. And look, I, I think... Uh, uh, Montana is a minion in the grand scheme of things. Admittedly, is a minion who controlled budgets that were, you know, worth billions of rand. But ultimately, he's appointed by overlords that are still sitting in power in the ANC, and they have not really been held to account at any level. So it's not just a question of saying that, you know, things haven't changed. I think what people are looking for is a, two very specific things we want to see first and foremost an uptick in the economy and secondly the creation of jobs and neither of those things are happening in fact by almost every level we've gone backwards we've got food inflation at uh at an all-time high cost of fuel at an all-time high those are the most dramatic things that impact upon most people in this country yep so if you're at that level yes Things are pretty much going backwards. They're not staying the same. They are going backwards.
2: The but- greatest reality show we've got going on at the moment is the Zondo Commission. And that's exactly what it is. It's 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 like reality shows. It's like watching the Kardashians. You know, all it is is it's day to day watching new faces with the same old bullshit. And it's distracting. What it is, is it's distracting. It's distracting us from all of the real things that we should. I've said this before. We needed a political solution. They needed to, to have a political solution for Jacob Zuma and and move on with it. We did not need a commission. Can I but just now that we have it? It's I quite fascinating you, watching.
0: Let me ask you this, Pumi. I mean, you, you know, the, for example, there was this story about soccer in, in, the, in the UK, and I'm not going to go into it in any detail, mostly because I'm not an expert on these things. But it seems that we, um, in this country, we don't ask any – we don't anything – there are no questions but the most superficial ones. So, for example, we've got a new Bafana coach starting soon, right? I don't think anybody even knows about that. But we've got a new Bafana coach who's about to be appointed. Now, everybody will ask who it is, and there will be a bit of a biography of maybe what that person did before. But nobody asks how much they're getting paid. Nobody asks where they they want to take the team, all the important questions that we actually should be asking. And so often with the Zondo Commission and other things, I feel like what we do is we satisfy ourselves with a very superficial knowledge of things. And unfortunately, doing the hard work is getting to grips with the the balance sheet and getting to grips with, with who gave the instruction for what and where it went and and too often that's that's asking too much of people it doesn't make for clicks and it certainly doesn't make for front page headlines but that really is where the where the rubber hits the road it's the boring stuff that we need to have done we need forensic audits we need you know the kinds of stuff that takes months and months of number crunching and nobody cares about that in this country nobody cares it's billions and and billions of
2: dollars are you going to talk about the erosion of newsrooms? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm certainly. I'm not going to touch about No, I'm not going to touch about the erosion of newsrooms. But uh, Gareth, let's, you know, recognize that again a problem that we have in this country is that we're not able to actually hold two opposing views at the same time and reconcile them. Mhm. And and in order for us to get, uh, to move forward, we need to develop that fundamental capacity, and it's incredibly difficult to do. So let, let's use the example in terms of uh, the George Floyd versus Derek Chauvin yes. um, thing. That that, that, I, that I, went knew, down. I knew I so, knew we'd
0: get to this eventually because the the verdict was was handed in yesterday. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, so if if I use this now as a very specific example, you can actually recognize that George Floyd was a piece of shit. He's a convicted felon. You, you know, he's, uh, held up. Yes. Okay. At the same time, it's possible to recognize that Derek Chauvin is also a piece of shit yes. and had, and no human being should have done what he did Absolutely. and therefore he has to go down. Now this is not a difficult thing to actually wrap your head around, but for some reason people insist, on wanting to put themselves into one or other camps. So using that as, as a kind of business model, and let's apply it to what goes down in front of the Zondo Commission. It's very clear that when people get put up by the evidence leaders at the Zondo Commission, from the point of view of the evidence leaders, there are good guys and there are bad guys. And you can see it from the way in which people get interrogated, the type of questions that they get asked. And that is the problem that we are not addressing, because I think that we take the view as a nation who are sitting and watching this debacle unfold before us. We don't say, but hang on, what are the critical questions that one needs to be asking at this point? It's this entire idea that... um, lucky montana is a bad guy uh uh yeah. bianca what's her name is is a good girl and
0: but this is what uh, i'm saying and, is and it's, and when it's, we, we start from that point we, we dumb it down to the extent where we we, we villainize or we or we uh, victimize you know in terms of, of of making of creating this victim status for somebody and actually that's completely wrong you know every villain in history didn't see themselves as a villain while they were doing the things they were doing
1: Correct, and uh, and even if they did, they were very careful to not put it out in the open.
0: So, so where do you before we get into the details of of George Floyd and what you think of that? Because I mean, there are obviously other things that we need to consider in that story, and it is a big story and has implications and repercussions here for South Africa. Because when something happens in America, inevitably the the culture is is exported to other parts of the world through movies and you know, journalism and everything else. But before we get to any of that, how do you think South Africa can become a little bit smarter? And, and I don't mean just in terms of, of, you know, basic media literacy. Someone on the show uh, a couple of days ago said they, they think that media literacy should be one of those subjects that we actually teach people at school. The others being civics, which I think would be enormously valuable. And, uh, and potentially something about morality. You know, we don't get any of those kinds of instructions anymore. You know, Lawyers have to do an ethics course. But most people emerge from school with only a very basic grip of sometimes history and literature. Should we be teaching morality and ethics? Should we be teaching civics and should we be teaching media literacy so that people can figure out a way in the world that makes more sense?
1: Well, the question is, who is we?
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm saying that the people of South Africa, I mean, we're the well, ones who, we're, the, we're the ones who are suffering for the lack of those things.
1: Well, historically, what would happen is that a lot of the, the stuff that you speak about was taught by primarily religious institutions. If you think about it, because the framework in terms of our overall morality, however. Uh, uh, you might want to uh, to phrase it. Didn't mm. fundamentally derive from our religious background, and this is irrespective of whatever religions we happen to belong to. You know, right. whether it was um, uh, Judeo-Christian, uh, Islamic, um, uh, uh, Hinduism, or whether you believe that your ancestors were watching over you, and w- would whip you into line if you didn't do anything. But the entire idea that there were rules of society that one needed to engage in. Actually came from those backgrounds. Now, part of what has been happening over the recent decades is mm-hmm. there's been a fall off in terms of uh, people who are actually religious, to a lesser extent in this country. But again, the people now who control those religious institutions yes. don't do it from the point of view of structure that used to exist over, um, well, over millennia, really. Now, what you have is those effectively turning into virtual reality shows in their own right, (laughs) and pushing particular political agendas in their own rights. So the the question that we then need to arrive at, and it goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning, what are the shared values that we can actually agree upon uh, in order for us to be able to move forward? I don't think we're at that point yet. And we're unlikely to get to that point for a while because right now, we are still pushing the entire agenda of division mm-hmm. as far as we possibly can.
2: Pum, and,
0: do you agree Pums?
2: Well, you know, I think we talk a lot about the collective. We talk a lot about the we, and I think these are the, a lot of the things that you raise are the things that are also about individual um, accountability, taking individual ab- accountability as, as parents as families as individuals kind of going what what is so before we get to the place where we have a collective shared values it's even within your your individual you and your little community you and your family you mm. and because it's it's um it's concentric circles these things are concentric circles so you have to within you decide for yourself what is good and right and what it is that you are going to you're going to pass on to the people around you and share with the people around you. We talk about tribes on social media and creating tribes with each other and gravitating towards people that are like us. That's what the shared values are. But we we have so much of this collective uh we all have to we have to do this actually this is is a lot more about individuals have to get themselves right too you have to hold yourself accountable and the people closest to you you have to hold your counselor accountable you have to you if you're if you're showing up to vote for the da the anc the patriotic alliance then hold them accountable to what it is that you believe in as well it's But before we get to the we, okay, yeah,
0: so this this accountability is a word that keeps coming up, but it is a word that very few people in in South Africa really want to own up to because we we see all around us parents who are not accountable for their children, you know. Kids are kids are, are very largely left to themselves in many parts of South Africa and by parents of all social strata. It's not just, you know, the poorest people who are not at home to look after their kids. There are rich people whose kids are all taking drugs and who don't watch them. There are also those people who are not even responsible for the relationships in their life. They can't even look after their wives. You know, most of the, the abuse that we hear about in South Africa is irresponsible, unaccountable men who are just doing whatever they want all the time. And we look at politicians and we say, you've got to be accountable. But actually, is our society accountable? We talk about Ubuntu, right? How many people are actually practicing that daily? How many people do that? They say it. We like to claim that we've got some superior morality. We talk about Ubuntu. But I wonder how many people are actually accountable for anyone except, and and not even perhaps themselves, themselves. You see many people who are not even able to wake up at the same time and get to work on time. You see people who complain about how they've been left out of this or left out of that, but they do nothing to actually learn more every day to improve themselves and to make themselves accountable. Is the problem the politicians, or are they just a reflection of us?
2: They're a reflection of us. We deserve deserve the people we vote for. (laughs) We deserve the government we have because we vote for it.
0: What do you we say, Catherine? You're smiling. Cheshire cat. there's so Kate. much
2: information available to all of us.
1: Mm. No, I, I think Gareth, you, you know, w- w- once again, uh, uh, I think th- this is a trope that Pumi comes back to, to time and again. That you know, we, the fact is that we are capable of taking action uh, on our own behalf. On the question of Ubuntu that you raised, I, I, I remember giving um, when we launched the Rotary e Club in. Uh, uh, in Joburg, well, around about 2016. Mm-hmm. And uh, the speech I gave at the time, I was talking about the concept of uh, of Ubuntu. And I said, yes, Ubuntu absolutely does exist, but it's the preserve of individuals. It's not a preserve of a collective. And as long as you take the view that you are your brother's keeper, you know, to, uh, to quote that uh, part of scripture, yes. and you take responsibility for your immediate circle, then I think that that becomes a starting point. This entire notion that the, uh, that um, uh, people out there are going to, you know, suddenly rise up and be uh, better people. No, it's, it's always been the preserve of individuals, you know? So it's the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the hundreds of people who was sending me personal messages of condolences around the death of my dog.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, those are the type of people that actually practice this stuff. The question then becomes, how do you actually build a consensus by finding those, uh, that type of person and uh, and trying to find something, uh, a space where they can all be doing stuff together? Again, that, you know, we end up being separated by geography, but then there's a tyranny of time yeah. as well, because, you know, people who are actually contributing to society don't have time to be spending on social media. I and uh, so, how do you then, how do you then get them to find time to pull together on those those shared values? And you know, let's take the view that the first thing of, you know, being my brother's keeper is a fundamental shared value that any uh, society should have. So this, But how do you build a consensus around that?
0: This does bring us to America and it does bring us to George Floyd and, and why this is important now. And I, I, I do, I don't want to waste um, the time we've got with Canton and Pumi because they both have lots to say about China and India and lots of other more, more exciting things potentially. But this has a cultural impact that very few other things do. So... We talk, we talk a lot about how, and Canton, I like the way you referred to how we can keep two ideas in our head at the same time. You know, you can walk and chew at the same time. The idea that, of course, there, there, there is a huge amount of culpability in the way that the police deal with people, particularly with unarmed people in America, particularly with, uh, you know, there was this horrible story the other day of this woman who thought she was discharging her, she's a police policewoman, she thought she was discharging her um, taser, it ended up being her gun, so she killed a man, uh, Deontay Wright, I think is his name, and this is obviously a question of, you know, police not doing the right thing. And and you can can decide if you're a lawyer, whether it's a first degree murder or it's a manslaughter or whatever it might be. And that's the law applying itself. But there is also the other side of this coin. What is a 13-year-old kid doing with a gun on the streets at 2 a.m.? You've got to ask why George Floyd this man was high as a kite on fentanyl. He'd been in jail many times. We are, we have to ask the questions about why there's so much wrong in these people's lives before the police come into them, and and I think that that's probably something we can also look at in this country,
1: which we don't by and large. No. because you know the entire idea that when you have people, for example, um, I, I see someone was making point in terms of the. Your comments just now about what has happened with the rail system where you've had people thing up shacks on the railway rail lines. Mm. And the immediate thing that should be happening in that particular case is enforcement of the rule of law. Yes. Uh, the, bro- the broken window strategy that was espoused by
0: Rudyulia
1: Ru- that. New York City. but said, "What do we do? Don't we, Canton, we don't immediately
0: I'm just going to ask you. Sorry, your your internet is just getting a bit patchy on us. I think maybe your solar is not as as good as you said it was. We're going to let you. I'm just going to reconnect you. I'm going to take Canton off the G. This- <laughs> I'm, well, the shade is exactly why solar doesn't work. I'm just going to ask Canton uh, to come back in, if if you can. We're just going to let you go, and then you, you can come back in, and we could see if that connection's a little bit better because you just started dropping off there. What do you have to say about the whole George Floyd saga, Pums? I mean, there's so much that is embedded in this that has to do with race and identity, and with the you know the people at Black Lives Matter versus the cops. Uh, what's the solution?
2: You know my view of the fascism of America. You know how I feel about this. But I I think that there is something incredibly wrong with the way that America deals with its people, the way that the policing system deals with people. So Unlike you, Gareth, I you know in America they have a right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. So you are walking in the street with a gun. You should not be a target. For the, they have this right. It's everybody's right. It's not just the right that is for some people and other people. So why is it that this is, this even becomes a conversation that says, were they holding a gun? Was there a gun in the vicinity? And the fact that it is proportionate. The, the people who are at the receiving end of this police brutality is all disproportionate with race. That is, there is something fundamentally wrong there, and they, you know, they have to, to do something about it. And unfortunately, it has come to a place where i going to have to climb in So in this volatile. Okay, have yeah. to climb in this. You, it,
1: it, it, it's not disproportionate in terms of race. It it is very proportionate in terms of. The way in which crimes actually get committed, in terms of the United States. So let's let's take this view in terms of uh, uh, George Floyd. I don't want us to dwell this too long, because I think, frankly, it's been done and dusted, and we need to be moving on from the entire thing. But the fundamental problem has always been the question of police brutality, mm-hmm. because the overwhelming majority of people that get killed by uh, police in the United States are white. Let me just keep saying that again. The overall victims of police brutality in the United States happen to be white. You just never get those stories making their way into the media. And all you have to do, again, is just do your own research and go and look for the facts, and you will find that that is the case. The reason why we have these issues happening in the United States, firstly, there's the legal problem In terms of something that is called qualified immunity which means that because you're an officer of the law you are not subject to the same rules that would apply to a normal citizen so in other words if you know that you can literally get away with murder as a police officer the pressure on you to actually restrain yourself is not there and qualified immunity has always been a problem in terms of the united states and there needs to be a framework of defining the extent to which police officers in the United States are able to use lethal force as the first drug of choice, as opposed to the situation in the UK or anywhere in Europe where it is always the last alternative and any use of lethal force will then be subject to exhaustive inquiries and people at the end of the day will do their damnedest to try and restrain the people by using batons or stuff like that as opposed to shooting first and then asking questions later. So that's uh, uh, an and issue in terms of policing. The second issue that we have is the entire concept which, um, of, of the war on drugs, yeah. you know, which basically says that you can use the fact that someone is an addict to uh, basically treat them as a criminal. Again, um, <clears throat> the entire concept of going after victimless crimes yeah. Again, this is a problem we have in this country where you pick on a person who's walking in the street far away from someone but not wearing a mask. You know, an example of a, of a victimless crime. We have this concept of a no-knock warrant yeah, where it means that police are basically able to burst into your house. What's the first thing you're likely to do as a reasonable human being if someone bursts into your house? You're going to retaliate. That's how you get the entire Breonna Taylor fiasco. The problem there is not racism. The problem there is the no-knock warrant. It should not have been there in the first place. The militarization of the police, again, that becomes another issue. But
0: even, can, I, can, have, I, just, uh, the, can I just interrupt you? Huh. Even even in the George, the George Floyd um, trial, there was absolutely yes. zero evidence at any stage given that Derek Chauvin was a racist. And it's a, very, it's a very complicated thing to prove someone is a racist. But it's become a massively important thing in the world. If someone can prove you're a racist, they've proved you, you know, arch evil you're like you this is the most terrible thing that you can possibly be uh for for
1: whatever except except you have except you have a whole real president of the country who firstly before the jury actually pronounces steps up and says i hope the jury does the right thing (laughs) yeah correct you know uh, preempting, and then immediately afterwards issuing a statement saying that systemic racism is a problem again Mm -hmm. this is because of the fact that they have a vested interest um Agents of power, be there, uh, Republicans or and, Democrats. And, and Maxine, they want to keep uh, Maxine
0: Waters, a congressperson who actually flew all the way to to M- Minnesota to have to get involved, Minneapolis rather, to get involved in and try to ratchet up the
1: Yeah, she's, she's the, the Julius Malema of the United States. She really. She is, this I is think. an
0: incredible thing that she did. She went there and told protesters, y- you better get ready because if this isn't the verdict you like, we're going to tear this place apart. Pretty much. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. But this is not responsible behavior from a politician.
1: No, it certainly is not. But again, when have we ever expected responsible behavior from any politician? I mean, starting with their whole real president, you know, making a comment on a judicial process before it actually gets complete. Obama never did that. Trump never did that. Clinton uh, and Bush before that never did that. It's, uh, It's outrageous but uh, but people keep quiet about it. So I think let, let's move on from the question of uh, of of Chauvin and uh, Gareth well, you point to I, say I, do want, I do want Pumi well, to racism, say. Racism racism must yeah. But racism was not on
2: the stage. He was he was yeah, he was not on trial for racism. He was on trial for his brutality. That's yes. what he was on trial for and that's what he was found guilty of.
0: But do you think people You know, I think that's, and, that do you I think, think, do you think I, Pumi I, by I, and mean, large people I, actually understood that because i think it was a trial about racism for many people
2: no it was not about racism and i think that what systemic what a lot american of people are racism confusing like, right now
0: it, it, it wasn't it about what how, a lot
2: of people are confusing right now is mm-hmm. the 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 jubilation around the the verdict is not because he was a white man. It's, it's what Canton was talking about, is that for the first time, you are seeing them being held accountable. You are seeing a police officer whose excessive use of force and, and actually abuse of his power led to the death of a man. And now he has been Pum, held accountable.
1: Pum, I, agree, I agree at one level, but at another level, I'll tell you why this is not significant. Garrett's point is very real, because... Ultimately, he was not convicted because of police brutality. He was convicted because of the need to complete the systemic racism narrative. Because if you look in terms of the legal process that took place in this trial, the actions of Derek Chauvin are the everyday actions of police officers throughout the United States, and none of them are going to go on trial for the same things. Is there a possibility that... Um, This trial will be appealed and that higher courts will actually rule that in terms of the law, that this was unequal justice because, you know, there should be equal protection under the law and you can't be applying the law unequally to one police officer Mm -hmm. when you have not done so in the case of other police officers. We had a case out here where because the congresswoman flies there and threatens uh, riots if the appropriate verdict is not found, and the names of all of those those jurors are known, is there any juror out there who wants, because remember it takes one dissenting voice to um, uh, to well, not convict I think the judge so, actually are you going to be that juror? yeah
0: the judge actually the said, judge actually the judge, the judge actually brought that up um before the verdict was yes. read out and said actually that you know that there could be and they will appeal this obviously because there's there, there's potentially grounds for a mistrial here in that this person yes. from the outside is interfering that's called um it's called jury uh, tampering and and uh interference which is a crime
1: absolutely right yes so th- this is my point that Derek Chauvin and one, you know, so it's one of the reasons why we need to, to move on from this, because there are people who will see it as a victory. There are people who will see it. Um, guys, this is just the, the tip of the iceberg. It, uh, right now, this is the starting point of a process that's going to play it out over the next few years. And, and we don't know which way it's going to go. Uh, we're uh, we're running a bit short on time, Gareth, and I know there were a couple of other questions that, that sure. Sia had mentioned ahead of time that right. we, uh, we needed to be uh, to be uh, getting at. I mean, one was the question, uh, which ties or what we were talking about earlier, around the direct elections bill. Yes,
0: tell me and, about that. You know,
1: how, and, and how independence... Well, I, I, it hasn't yet gotten to the stage where we can have a sense of how they want to play this. Because remember what's happened out here is we've had the courts basically turn around and say that there needs to be a way to have direct elections and parliament needs to work out the logistics. And, of course, now the logistics of how you end up pulling this off um, is hugely complicated. And so I mean, to just think about this, uh, the simple logistics of how do you end up with a scenario where... People want to run for president, okay so you have a direct elections bill. I say uh, Gareth Pooby and Kanton are going to to run for president yeah. and we add our names to literally thousands of people on a ballot but
0: just just quickly okay, so, how you... so you're the only yeah. person who has any experience of this <laughs> i mean out of the 3 of us you are the only yes. person who's run for president um and 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 you know how difficult it is at a party level to get that right but for an individual it must be even more difficult
1: well Essentially, what you need to end up getting to is something that's not dissimilar to the process that you have in the United States, where you have primaries that actually end up eliminating particular character um, uh, people. And then, obviously, you need to set the bar quite high in terms of the amount of money that you put down as a deposit. Because, mm-hmm. you know, that... And, and again, people are going to say, no, but you're eliminating poor people from the process. Yeah. Well, you know do we do we really want a poor people a poor person ending up being president of the country because uh, you know ultimately that means that that person is very likely to say how best do I enrich myself
0: or well i mean and you could say that i that. don't know that that's no. fair i think rich people are just as capable that's not of stealing a fair thing to say, yeah no. i mean rich people are yes. just as capable of stealing poor as, people as are poor not people. bad currently i will uh-huh. remind you Poor
2: people are not bad okay. they're just absolutely.
0: poor absolutely <laughs> and i will they're
2: remi- also not stupid they-
0: I agree with Pumi. I will remind you that we currently have a billionaire in charge of the country, and it's not exactly running like clockwork.
1: Uh, but let's take this view that this is a billionaire who has not actually earned his own money. He got his billions because of the fact that he happens to be a black person in the ANC. Let's be very clear. But about
2: he's it. not poor.
1: Mm. Yes, but he's not poor. And, uh, but the point is that the way in which he got to be not poor was by playing politics, which goes back to my original point. What I'm trying to say is that if you look in terms of the U.S. presidential ballot, for example, there are always multiple uh, candidates on the ballot. It's not just um, the Republicans and the Democrats. But it does end up being a a question of recognizing that you have to put in place a bar Mm -hmm. that is actually going to be setting a level where it does not become unmanageable. Look, it's, it's very clear that if you happen to be a type of person who believes that people are going to vote for you. Uh, uh, so as as a very specific example, let's let's say you need 20 million people to vote for you mm-hmm. in order to get into office. Right. OK, if you are going to get 20 million people to believe in you, then surely you can get 100000 people to each give you one rand. That is going to then be your deposit to be able to stand for president. That is my specific point.
2: Although it is also very difficult as an independent to exactly. operate within the yes. system. Because
1: yes. what you but, also but have... If, is, if, you can, if you cannot mobilize 100,000 people within your own community who want to vote for you, I'm sorry. You know, we have to be... We can't be touchy-feely about this, Pumi. We have to be realistic. That's
2: not what I'm talking about. No, that's not what I'm, I'm talking I'm, about. I'm saying, so I'm saying we, as an independent... In parliament. So let's say you, you, you mobilize your 100,000 people. They give you a hundred rand each. One you mobilize 20 million round. people, <laughs> one rand each. You mobilize 20 million people to vote for you and you do become the president. Now you are an individual in a parliament with 400 people. You still have to put together a cabinet. You still have to wrangle all of those individuals mm-hmm. towards what you Want them to do, and and that you know is, again also you know the 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 specifics of doing what you need to do is going to be very difficult.
1: Absolutely not, I disagree, and let me tell you why. <laughs> Firstly, the president of the country gets to appoint the cabinet, okay, which which again ties in with from uh, with, um, from, from where he chooses.
0: He, he can choose people who aren't in yeah. parliament. You can choose a. You yes, choose a which a, has
1: which which, which which has been the case. I mean, uh, why right now does uh, um, Patricia DeLore happen to be uh, Minister of uh, Non-Functional Public, whatever it is that she's, uh, she's running? <laughs> my, my point is that if you take a look in terms of how functional democracies work, and, and again, let's use the U.S. as an example. The, uh, the president of the country does get to pick and choose his cabinet. His cabinet does have to go through a confirmation process that actually needs to uh, uh, to take place before um, the Senate in the case of the uh, of the United States. Why is it impossible for us to just simply replicate those systems out here?
2: But his he cabinet has it, to work with Congress and the Senate.
1: Yes, and the only he level at which. Bills. Yes, I know. And that's the beauty of it. It means that the ability of people to steal is actually curtailed. Because fundamentally, the issue that we have in this country right now stealing. is not. Yeah, it is stealing. Yeah. I mean, really. And what we need, we need in terms of political structures. Is the ability for each of these various players to hold the other in check, and right now we don't have it. So
0: I think that's a really so, valid thing. I, I I love having you back, Canton, and, and lots of people are commenting on how happy they are that you're back and that you and Pumi are at each other's throats again because that's part of the fun of the burning platform that we all love. But I do want to we say we're not at each other's nah, throats. No, I, I know that, but it, it's it. I like to dramatize it; makes it sound more exciting than it is. Um, the reality is, though, that you've just kind of distilled a whole lot of stuff we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and months and months and perhaps even years and years the biggest problem we have at the moment in this country is stealing is the people in politics who are stealing i think if we can just focus on that if we can eliminate the stealing we will have gone a long way to getting things right quite
1: right and if you look in terms of the Yes. Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, rent seeking is, is really the, uh,
0: yeah. uh the issue that we, we, need, have to, we need to stop. <laughs> we need to stop the bleeding because we're like a, we're like a trauma surgeon. And if we don't stop the bleeding, the patient's going to die, no matter what the underlying cause of that bleeding is.
1: Exactly. Um, I also want to, uh, uh, and then the last, uh, uh, question that, um, uh, that Sia had mentioned, can we be creative or constructive about job creation? Mm. And, talking about an engineer added to the workforce which creates 15 lower-level jobs. One of the the issues that we have right now in terms of of job creation is the fact that we do have um, these monopolies, for want of a better word, that effectively control significant chunks of the economy. And what that means is that they are able to put brakes on the ability of other people to actually enter the market. Right. So – we have, to, so again, using the US as an example, we have a scenario where Biden is pushing for a $15 per hour minimum wage mm-hmm. and Jeff Bezos pops up and he says, yes, I'm in support of a $15 an hour minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Here's, here, here's where the issue is in terms of that. Jeff Bezos is already paying his staff a $15 an hour minimum wage and his vested interest In terms of that, is that means that all of the low level mom and pop retailers that exist in small towns throughout the country who cannot afford to pay $15 an hour get removed from the equation and immediately it creates, it opens up all of those markets to then becoming more fodder for Amazon. Mm -hmm. Now, take exactly the same view in terms of how most of the major players apply in this country, which is why you have these uh, industrial bargaining councils where they determine wages for particular sectors, which means, again, that when you have a scenario where you have a family in Newcastle who wants to set up a clothing factory but cannot afford to pay wages that have been dictated by the bargaining councils, they get pulled out of of the entire business. We have this applying over and over again in our country where the major players – actually collude with government to exclude minimum wage entrance into into the market by raising the minimum wage. Again, we've had a scenario um, uh, this week where you've had, firstly, you had the introduction of minimum wages for domestic workers. The immediate impact on that was to eliminate jobs for domestic workers. Uh, across the board. Now, again, you've got the uh, idea that minimum wage, that uh, domestic workers have to register for workman's compensation. Again, pulling the employers, in this case, you know, people who might very well just be struggling to barely put food on the table themselves. And you want a person who is, let's say, earning 7,000 Rand a month, who is paying A 1,500 rand a month to a domestic worker to look after a child so that she can then go to work and earn that 7,000 rand, which keeps food on the table for that domestic worker. Mm -hmm. But you want to eliminate the job for that domestic Mm -hmm. worker, which also takes out the person earning 7,000 rand a month who now can no longer go to work because she needs to be home looking after a child, and the entire thing falls apart. So we can't talk in terms of actually doing job creation stuff when we do this touchy feely leftist bullshit, which ultimately ends up killing jobs. And Trump was exactly right about this in the US. And you are seeing the impact of it now. Uh, Biden comes in, kills the Keystone pipeline, immediately 20,000 families um, out of work, the knock on impact in terms of the small communities that are part of the pipeline. How do we fix this? By removing the power of government by and large. And having a directly elected president whose budget is subject to being passed by parliament, I think is a good starting point. They'll always be fighting, but at very least they can't overtax us.
0: All right. I mean there's a lot to as I expected when we when we saw you were coming back, uh there's a lot to chew on when Canton rejoins us. Pumi, you've you've hardly had a chance today, but then I did want to give Canton a lion's share of the time. We'll be back with the Burning Platform <laughs> next Thursday. Canton, always good to see you. Pumi, thank you very much. As always, we will talk next Thursday and it's a short week next week. Remember, Tuesday's a public holiday. Really? Free, it's Freedom Day, yeah. Wow. Freedom Day. Listen, how old were you on Freedom Day? Uh, both of you.
2: I don't know. No,
1: 12. Uh,
0: 1994. I was 33. Did so? You had already. That was your first vote.
1: Well, it was my first vote because of colour, not because of uh, my age. But no, no, yeah. no.
0: But what I'm saying is, like, that was that was your first. So, so I mean, it must have been like a special day for you because. I I do get the feeling that we, you know, these public holidays come and go and it's nobody's fault. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to ascribe any kind of judgment to the people who just don't care because it's a day off. But I do think like 27 years is exactly the amount of time that Nelson Mandela spent on Robben Island. And here we are 27 years after democracy and a lot can happen in 27 years. You know, sometimes it's it's, worse. And a lot has happened. happened. And Uh, I,
1: I took my daughter into the voting booth with me and, um, yeah, uh, uh, and and put a pencil in in her finger um, while I, while I made the cross. Sure, that <laughs> was fun. Yeah, it was. Quite, I was quite emotional, guys. I got to tell you. Yeah,
0: I've, I was twelve. I've I've <laughs> got a, and
1: and I and I and I voted in every election since. I've got a. Of course, the last election, I voted for myself. But exactly,
0: but hell, what what's what's wrong with that? Well done to you. <laughs> Listen, uh, I've I've got a voting. Um, what do they call them? Like the 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 ballot paper I've got the ballot paper from that 1994 election um I yeah. remember Brilliant. Uh-huh. yeah it's a, it's a, a and I even have some political party posters which I I took down illegally because you well could just, just
1: hold 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 that thought for a second uh-huh. <clears throat> let's take a look at this
2: while you're holding that thought I I have to go
0: okay because
2: I have an eight thirty guys. Okay. Thank you, <laughs> Pums.
0: Thank you. Pumi Mashiho, everybody. And thanks for being a part of the show this morning, Pums. There's Canton's Mandela for President poster. That's amazing. That was 19, 1994, right? Phenomenal. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, I just thought it was, it was maybe worth just wrapping up the burning platform by just taking stock. Thanks, Canton. That's an amazing thing to have. Very, very cool. And we have come a long way, you know, as a country. We tend to, to constantly look at the, at the things that we can improve on, which is good. But we we need to take stock of how far we've come. And the fact that we can even have a show like this and we can discuss things like this was not possible under the previous administration. So let's be grateful for those things that we're taking for granted now. Just like when we we started the show this morning, we were talking about how innovation is now taken for granted. You know, mobile phones, the Internet, all of that stuff. Good to see you again, Mr. Pillay. We'll talk to you again soon.
2: Cliffcentral.com.